Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm your host, Jack McLean, and today my guest is Simon Hatter, the founder of Simonster. Simonster is a world leader in bodyweight training. Starting gymnastics at an early age, he became passionate about mastering control of the body and immersed himself in the world of bodyweight strength training. Expanding his skill set with training in martial arts, circus, and breakdance, his movements and teachings reflect a mixture of knowledge from each of these disciplines. Highlights from this episode, we discuss the importance of keeping it simple both in exercise selection and cueing an athlete. The importance of taking ownership of your own journey and driving your progression. The key principles to quality feedback from coach to athlete. And Simon's favorite methods for developing his knowledge and training philosophy. Before we start this episode, for those coaches wanting to learn how to create an online coaching successful business and make an impact in elite sport, then our Coaches Academy is for you. You get access to a step-by-step roadmap to launching your own online coaching business, extensive training library and exclusive discounts and tools. You'll also become part of our active and supportive community filled with strength and conditioning coaches from all over the world who can help you along your coaching journey with practical feedback, support and advice. All of this and more make our academy the number one place for strength and conditioning coaches wanting to start, manage and grow a successful coaching business. To join, head to preparelikeaproacademy.com.au. Let's get into today's episode with Simon Monster. Welcome, Simon. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Thanks for having me. Let's uh, dive straight into the beginning of your career as a, as a strength coach and a calisthenics expert. At what age did you recognize that you wanted to help people with their um, fitness goals? I think that's something that developed quite late. So I've always been passionate about calisthenics and kind of the high-level motor control exercises that you see in, you know, circus, breakdancing, gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as I got older, I thought I wanted to be a physio. And I, I still am a physio, but now I predominantly, I predominantly work with performance and rather than injury prevention, it's most about people kind of getting the most out of their calisthenics training or strength training. Oh, awesome. And, and what about you, yourself? Like, and you, me met in the bio, the intro is gymnastics was something you started at a young age. What, what did a typical week look like and, and what age did you start gymnastics? So I started gymnastics really young. My parents got me into gymnastics probably when I was, I think, seven or eight. I had an injury there. I, I ran into um, some parallel bars and I split my open and I quit for a few years. And then wow. they got me back into that when I was a little bit older, about 10 or, uh, sorry, about 11 or 12, I think. Yes. Uh, and I, I always liked gymnastics. I liked the gymnastics skills, but I didn't really like how structured, how structured it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how rigid the syllabus was. They also taught breakdancing at the same YMCA that I did gymnastics at. And I went along to a breakdancing class and I, I much preferred that. I liked a lot of those skills and I liked the, kind of the freedom you had with breakdancing. To me, it was like, it's ultimately gymnastics, but, but you can kind of take it whichever direction you want to. <laughs> it's just floor gymnastics, but you can do whatever you, whatever you want. But yeah. So that's kind of where I made the switch and I always did calisthenics to kind of help with my breakdancing performance. Interesting. Okay. So that's, yeah, that, that the calisthenics was sort of the accessory work for you and your goal was, was the breakdancing. 
But yeah. for those you know new to the gymnastics, calisthenics, and, and breakdancing world, what, what would be you know what would be a typical day's training involve? Is it lo- a lot of volume? Is it long duration, or is it an AM session and a PM session? Take us through sort of a typical day. When yeah, you're, so, you're- so as a junior gymnast, you probably do a, you know a few sessions a week, maybe two or three sessions a week, maybe two hours. I'm elite yeah. gymnast, train a lot more, all the way up to a full time kind of training schedule. But as a junior gymnast, you you generally do two hours. You do a warm up. You do some skill specific work on each apparatus, and then you do your last thirty minutes as a kind of strength and conditioning circuit. With breakdancing, it was just one breakdancing lesson a week where you'd kind of learn technique and and skills, mm-hmm. and then uh, you'd kind of be on your own to do the do your the rest of your training on your own. So what I would yep. do is, as I kind of found that I, I wanted to do that more and more, I would mm-hmm. seek out other classes and just kind of try and get a lift with, with people when I could or catch a train out to Paran to go to a, you know, a few classes throughout the week. So once I made the switch to breakdancing, it was generally about two or three breakdancing lessons a week. And then I would yep. just train at home in my room for about an hour of uh, really skill-specific work. Right. And is that stuff that you were asking friends? Was there a coach? Did you have sort of influences or were you, coming, were you sort of self-practicing different drills, yeah. that home practice? And there was a little bit of coaching, but a lot of it was self-directed because you'd have a, you know, one lesson a week where you'd have a coach who would teach you something and then you'd practice mm-hmm. those drills at home. Breakdancing is fairly new though. And there's always kind of new developments with it, kind of new skills being invented. And once, you, once you've been doing it for a few years, it, you're often working on things that the coaches haven't done or can't do or aren't sure about. So you, you and your friends just try and work it out together and break down a skill and think about how you progress toward that. Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned in your your journey of into the industry that physiotherapy was uh, an area of education that you, you undertook. Was that because you had an injury yourself, or were you know were, were there clients that you were, were you thinking at that time to potentially open up a clinic? Take us through the thought process for for physiotherapy. Yeah, so my first exposure to physio was when I was probably thirteen or so. I injured my wrist, so I was doing a lot of break dancing, a lot of handstands. I got a sore wrist, and I saw a physiotherapist. And my mum's a, a GP, so she's a doctor. Mm-hmm. She, she recommended I see a physio, and I was really impressed. You know, I thought he had a really thorough understanding of anatomy and physiology and 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 managing injuries. I thought that would be, you know, I thought that'd be a really fun career. I didn't didn't really have any idea of what I wanted to do at that age, and I also thought a, a bit of a selfish reason, but I also thought that'd be really good knowledge to have with what I love to do with with break dancing and with calisthenics training. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what took me there. I didn't really have a have a goal to open a clinic or anything anything like that in mind. And then once I got into the industry, I started working as physio. You know, a lot of it isn't isn't that kind of work. Even if you work in you know musculoskeletal physiotherapy in a private practice, a lot of what you see is not is not athletes trying to return to to high level function. It's mm-hmm. more like the general public trying to be able to have a day without pain. And it's it's not as much of an exact science as, you know, a naive 13-year-old Simon thought it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you got to try these things out. I think that's um, a large part of people listening to the podcast is that is, is, is exploring different things through this journey. And it's probably one element of the fitness industry is fine is that we can sort of all learn off each other in different domains. And it, do you feel looking back, the discipline has, you mentioned, you know, trying calisthenics, gymnastics, and how that's evolved into your philosophy, which we'll talk about in a second. But is physiotherapy part of that or the injury prevention side of things, is that part of your programming or 
Is it something yeah, you pretty much document? I think rather than thinking of them as like separate disciplines, I, I think yep. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of overlap, physiotherapy and strength and conditioning, especially at the low level when it comes to rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's something, physio is something that I'm, I'm really happy that I learned. I think it's helped a lot with my training, a lot with my understanding, a lot with being able to pick apart kind of BS on the internet about, you know, this is how you need to do something. Don't do this because you'll get injured. Having that understanding of anatomy, physiology helps a lot to decipher what's what's of substance and what's just a gimmick. Yeah, yeah. Have a good filter. That's a pretty, yeah. pretty important thing for a coach. And and exploring that you mentioned the the fun element and and being able to you know learn new movements and break down skills. How much of it is increasing your if you're trying to like you know get your first chin up or any sort of golf push-ups dips of the basic level of body weight calisthenics before progressing the the skills of development how important is it to develop strength for let's just say using dumbbells and barbell and how much how important is it to put time into learning you know balance and and coordination and the skill sort of the motor learning component of it yeah i think that's there's not really a one-size-fits-all answer mm-hmm. and it- it's really dependent on the skill you're trying to pursue. I think most of the skills you mentioned, I'd consider them to have a really kind of low technical component. So I know mm-hmm. a lot of people mention that a squat's a really technical exercise. And in the world of, um, in the world of you know, powerlifting and lifting weights, it's, it's fairly technical you know, compared to something like a leg extension. But if you've tried skateboarding, hand balancing, breakdancing, gymnastics, you know, it pales in comparison to something like trying to balance on one hand or trying to spin on your head or trying to coordinate you know, a backflip with a twist in it. And I think when it comes to the, you know, the, the really highly technical skills, it's, it's pretty, you really need to address the motor learning component. But when it comes to something like a, a chin up or a, a push up, uh, as it's quite a simple, as it's quite a simple motor pattern, I think some specific mm-hmm. work is important, but it, it often does come down to just being able to generate raw force output. And a lot of that you can achieve with really basic exercises, you know, you can, often unlock your chin up with just building strength through things like lat pull up, lat pull downs, push ups with any kind of general upper limb strengthening work should help you get there. Yeah. And and let's talk about the business side for a second. Sign Monster was a brand that like my partner being in the yoga world and then myself at the time I was crossfitting, put those two worlds together and were aware of the work you were in that space, calisthenics, and that would have been about five or six years ago. At what point of your career did you find out about the power of, of the online world, social media, YouTube, and, and start putting yourself out there? How did that come about? I started putting myself out there online fairly early, kind of once I had a camera and was uploading things. I'd, I would I would often get inspiration from breakdancers and power movers, seeing what they could do on the internet before YouTube was even around. So when I could afford one, I bought, I bought a camera and started just you know filming my training and uploading some stuff. And there were a few breakdancing websites where you could kind of see things from other people around the world and get ideas and get inspired. And, and uh, that's how it started. But I don't think I really understood the power of it until quite recently, and especially through COVID when the world just kind of went online. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. So it was more from your own training development was the focus of, of uh, sharing. Sharing videos was part of that community in breakdancing. Yeah. So, so when I was younger, my my main interest was just trying to kind of push the limits with what I could do in in the world of breakdancing, tricking, bodyweight movement, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to see what I could do on one hand, how many times I could spin on my head, could I do a flip with a twist in it into another skill, all, all of those sorts of things. 
And as I've gotten a little bit older, my focus has kind of shifted a lot more to teaching. And I think part of that is breakdancing is very much a young man's sport and it's very hard to uh, do, do things like air flares and head spins indefinitely. Um, yeah. But I still very much enjoy training. So my training kind of shifted from the more explosive things and the things that are a lot more stressful on your joints to, mm-hmm. to more traditional strength training, but in the form of bodyweight exercises because I've always really liked the, the skill component of bodyweight exercises. And then another, another thing I've always in, kind of enjoyed is, is teaching and, and breaking things down and trying to have a really deep understanding of the things I do. So now that's predominantly what I do is, is apply strength science to body weight training or calisthenics. Yeah, oh, that's a good segue for, for the coaches listening in. Like you mentioned, it, the motor learning, the complexity of these drills is, is higher from a, from a movement competency point of view. It's on the other end compared to the basic movement patterns that we typically do like squats, push-ups, um, hip hinge, and, and pulling. Because of that, what sort of cues do you use with, with when you're giving feedback for some of these movements? You know, is it more external cues? Is it feel thing? Is it video analysis? Like a, what's your favorite way to give feedback when you're trying to progress an athlete that you're working with? Yeah, as the goal of what I do tends to be performance. I generally don't, don't like internal cues. I think there's a time and a place for them. But when it comes to performance, I think there's a lot of evidence that external cues lead to better performance and also a lot of evidence that that can lead to better, better strength outcomes. And I've found that when people kind of dwell on, on internal cues, it might work really well for one person, but I don't think it's really generalizable. And I think part of the reason for that is everybody understands things in a slightly different way. Everyone feels things in a slightly different way. And you can't say you should be feeling this working in a you know, in your, in your deadlift, you should be feeling your posterior chain activating. And I would say in your deadlift, if you're picking the weight up and standing up and fulfilling the requirements of a deadlift, it doesn't matter if you feel things activating or not, as long as you're making, making progress. So generally I like to keep things really simple, focus on external cues, focus on concrete outcomes. I do really like video analysis and video feedback, especially for calisthenics. A lot of the things are are really technical. And when people are trying to refine their technique or their alignment, it's, it's really good to just elucidate points and say, we pause this video here, we can draw some lines on it and you can see you know, where, where or when your center of mass is falling outside your base of support, where you're losing balance and break down why certain things are happening. Okay, yeah, that's great. And then you know, if there is any listeners in that either trying to get their first chin up or trying to develop that more, that maximum force, production like you mentioned does it change for the simple cues uh, simple tasks or does the process stay very similar yeah i I, the way i generally break down all skills just to give a general principle in this is i think every single um skill or every single exercise requires some level of skill Mm -hmm. um, a technique or motor control just to kind of define what i'm talking about there and Mm -hmm. some level of force output so something as simple as reaching for a glass and picking it up requires a level of skill and competency to be accurate with that and move your hand in the right direction, grip the glass and lift it up, and then some level of force output. And we generally don't, don't even think of that because it's such a small level of force output and requires such little skill. Everyone can already do that. You're treating a, you know, you, you look at a toddler or you look at a, a stroke patient. 
And what I like to do is then break down the, break down the strength or the force output and the motor learning requirements and think about what do I need to focus on? So often with a, a push up, it really is a, a matter of kind of raw force output. Mm-hmm. And just to make the point with something even more, even, even simpler than a push up, something like an isolated, you know, bicep leg extension, that really is just a function of force output. Almost everyone can coordinate straightening their knee. And raw force output will just basically come down to how much muscle mass you have in your quads. So the way to improve that is just build more muscle. You could do a bit of specific high intensity work, but generally that'll scale really well with muscle mass. So I think of, you know, raw muscle mass is your ability to produce muscle mass is your ability to produce raw force. And then it's the motor learning component that allows you to put that force into more complex motor patterns, movement patterns or motor patterns. So something like a push-up, relatively easy. People should should do pretty well with some push-up regressions and just building some extra muscle in, you know, the pecs, shoulders, and triceps. Something like a handstand push-up becomes a little bit more challenging. You can have somebody who can overhead press, you know, their body weight or close to their body weight. They've clearly got the the force output to do so, but they can't balance a handstand. So where do you go there? And mm. or and that's when you would have a lot more work on just balancing a handstand. Then you have these people in the middle who can balance a handstand. They can do a handstand push-up against a wall, but they can't do a, a freestanding handstand push-up. And in that case, they've they've got the force output requirements. They can do it against a wall. They've got the balance to a handstand, but it's really the specific motor learning and lots of lots of really high level specific practice of that skill of the handstand push-up. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's I know that's not too specific to your your. No, that's question. great. You can you can see how oh, you can see you're a coach. You know, the different clients that are probably popping up and the and the continuum that you have from, and how you pull it all together and progress someone. But how do people typically work with you currently in the business? Is it group coaching? Is it face to face? Is it online? Yeah, mo- most of what I do now is put programs out into the world. I do a, a few workshops and I coach a few. A uh, few clients, but not not very many. And most of it's remote. People in other countries. It's it's basically all online with video review and Zoom calls and that sort of thing. And who would be the typical client? Is it put those focused on calisthenics? Is it gymnasts that are wanting to explore outside of gymnastics? It's, it's generally people focused on on calisthenics, kind of all, from all levels. Get a few yep. people. Say I've been working for a long time, trying to unlock the chin up. I'm, I'm getting some conflicting information online. Um, mm-hmm. and other people who really want to hone in on a skill like the planche, the planche push-up, things like that. And in your experience over the last, how long have you been in the industry for now, in, would you say, in calisthenics? I would say a long time, you know, 10, 15 years, but probably over four, a decade. Yeah. You know, five yeah. years coaching. Yeah. And has it had a huge spike in with home practice and because of lockdowns and, and COVID? Has that awesome. increased the awareness? Oh, sorry, with the online thing. Yeah, with the online thing, I've probably been in that, I don't know, five years or so. And uh, yeah, the huge spike during COVID. Hey there, hope you're enjoying this episode with Simon. We're just going to take a quick break to hear our snippet from our interview with Paul Roos. Hope you enjoy. So leadership is something you, you can work on. And, and it's just having the awareness, whether it be like you said, with performance by design, you have like a questionnaire, it sounds like, and, and you profile them and say, this is your, your strengths as a leader. This is some areas you need to work on. Um, and is it just a matter of actioning those areas you need to work on and then sharpening your strengths, like practicing? I think one of the biggest the problems, Jack, I think one of the biggest problems, Jack, is we just, we promote people because of technical expertise. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. 
but we actually don't work on their leadership capability. So let, let's, for instance, say, oh, I mean, we use football as an example. You know, an, an assistant coach at a football club basically looks after, and you've seen it, probably, what, about eight players directly, you know, and, a, and an area. Let's, let's say the midfield area. A senior coach has 44 players, plus the medical staff, plus the fitness staff, plus the deals with the marketing, the sponsorship, the board, et cetera, et cetera. It's similar in an accounting firm. You know, you might be a really, really good accountant and suddenly you're being promoted through your competence, all right? So mm. we just don't work enough on what leadership yeah. is. And that's a real, and it's regardless who it is. So my, my message to everyone listening, work on your leadership capabilities. What, what is authenticity? What is empathy? What is self-awareness? What is communication? What is honesty? You know, and because there's this notion once you get to a leadership position that you have to know everything. That's absolute crap. You know, mm. I've met there were some of the best leaders and they've all got weaknesses. But what they're really good at is asking questions and saying, I don't know. I don't mm. know. Let me find that answer out. To hear more from Paul Ruse, make sure at the end of this episode with Simon to scroll to episode 52 on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Now back to the rest of the episode with Cy Monster. Hope you enjoy. Now that things are sort of going back to normal and gyms are open, is it uh, can people continuing their practice? Are they sort of getting hooked into the, 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 the sport, the methodology? If anything, I've seen kind of the opposite. I've seen a lot of people who moved to calisthenics purely because they didn't have access to a gym, especially here in Oz, where you uh-huh. had, had these really strict lockdowns. A lot of people were trying to, you know, just maintain muscle with calisthenics, but... I think a lot of those people also enjoyed, you know, going to the gym. And if I wanted to build muscle and didn't didn't love calisthenics, I'd probably go with the, the weights option. It's easier. It's easier to scale. It's easier to target specific mm-hmm. muscles. So I think a, a lot of people kind of made the switch as they were forced to, mm-hmm. just to kind of have have a way of doing resistance training from home. And now that they have access to a gym again, they're going with the option they prefer more. That being said, there's a few people who kind of fell in love with it and are now doing cal- a lot more calisthenics. Yeah, I know context would be you know, massive with any of these type of questions, but you mentioned planch and you know developing some of these more complex skills. How how long does it take? Like, t- talk us through maybe your top three movements that you get requested outside of the basic ones of chin up and push up, but more on the complex skills. How long does it typically take someone who's pretty dedicated to to give it everything they've got and they follow your program, how long does it take to, to learn some of these skills? Yeah, it depends on the skill. I think something like the muscle-up is relatively easy. So if you can do a chin-up and a dip or a few chin-ups and dips through a good range of motion, you can probably unlock the muscle-up in you know a matter of a month or two months uh, for most right. people. Something like the planche, that's a, that's a really long road. And a lot of people who even train for the planche you know, never achieve a full planche. So... I think a good analogy for the planche is probably like, you know, how long will it take me to squat 200 kilos? And Mm -hmm. for some people, uh, you know, they're a little bit more kind of anatomically designed to be able to squat more. You know, they're bigger, they're heavier, they can squat more. You see kind of parallels with calisthenics, like someone who's seven foot is probably never going to hold a full planche. Whereas, you know, the smaller guys will get a lot quicker. Some people will work work towards it a lot over the course of years and get close and hold a straddle planche, but never unlock a full planche. But just for a ballpark figure, I generally say skills like the, if you're coming from a good foundation of, of bodyweight strength, like, you know, 10 to 15 chin-ups, 15 to 20 dips, the planche is probably something like two years away. The front lever probably 
a year to 18 months away and the muscle up you can unlock really quickly. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing. And you mentioned five years ago is when you made that shift to online and then started doing online programming. For those that are thinking about developing an online coaching business, maybe they're they're doing personal training full-time or they're doing group training, but everything's face-to-face and they lost a lot of work during lockdowns and they don't want to experience that again, or maybe they just want a more resilient business model. What would what were some of your early challenges and how did you overcome them when you shifted to more online? Yeah, I've actually been been really fortunate and I'm probably not the best person to ask that question to because I didn't kind of I wasn't kind of forced to make that shift. So the way the way that kind of came about for me was I had a full-time gig up performing. I really enjoyed teaching, breaking skills down, and I was creating a lot of tutorials just kind of as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And then in response to that, I had some people reach out about coaching and how can I learn this skill. And it's also, you know, calisthenics is a pretty small pool of coaches that kind of specialize in calisthenics. So I was, I was very fortunate in that regard. So yeah, unfortunately, I don't have any great advice. I think, that, this kind I think of- that's good. That's good advice. Like success leaves clues and tutorials is um, a valuable thing that you're giving away. Like you mentioned, it was a hobby project, but people obviously getting something from it and then wanting more and, and seeking your services. So is that something that was pretty instant once you started the tutorials or did you have to it's, give away just, free content for a while? I gave away free content for a while and it's something that built. But then again, the goal wasn't really, you know, to get clients. It was just, I really enjoyed doing. I liked, I liked trying to explain how to, how to learn skills in, you know, a simple and concise manner. And I thought it's a kind of gap in the fitness industry. So if I, if I wanted to learn about how to bench press, how to improve my bench press. There's kind of endless resources online and, you know, a lot of, a lot of great people, a lot of, you know, even a lot of research around that area. But if I want to learn how to planch, no one, no one, it's like the blind leading the blind or five years ago, 10 years ago, it was, you had a few resources, but I didn't actually think they were great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I, I created a, you know, a guide about how to how to planche, some tutorials about how to planche and kind of the more I created, the more interest I got about coaching and, you know, one-to-one kind of, you know, paid business in that area. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And when working with, with your favorite client, what sort of talents or mental capabilities and talents do they have from a physical and mental side? Like when do you recognize from someone that you, maybe your first consultation that you think you're going to see some pretty special things from this person? Yeah, I'm never really sure on a first consultation because, you know, people can say they're really motivated and that they'll train really hard. But generally, if somebody's reached out to me about coaching, you know, paid for a service, they do kind of commit. So I've been lucky to have good clients who've trained really hard. And I generally, you know, it's it's hard to see how far someone will go straight away I and mean, what their potential is. But over the course of the next few months, you can kind of get an idea of, of what they'll achieve. So I've coached some people from, you know, kind of just kicking up to a handstand to handstand pushups. A few of the guys are doing straddle planche pushups now. One of the guys in his 40s is doing rings muscle-ups, bar muscle-ups, holding a flag for 10 seconds. But yeah, you see a lot of variation. The same with strength. You know, you can have someone who's just extremely gifted, can just lift a lot. They get under a bar kind of no matter what they do, their, their lifts go up and you have other people have to look, work a lot harder for it. And does lifestyle come into it as well? If they if you if they've got a certain goal, do you do you say, well, you know, dropping five kilos is going to significantly help that goal, or or is that something that doesn't come up that often? Usually, people come to you; they're already in pretty good shape. Yeah, they're generally in in pretty good shape. I haven't had anyone that I've said, you know, you you really should lose weight to achieve this goal. Not that I don't think it's important in certain certain circumstances, but. Generally, it's just been, you know, quite specific squat 
quite specific work. A lot of people have been kind of in the fitness industry or coaching themselves and really just want to hone in on the calisthenic skills. And that's, that's kind of the, the way I like to coach is rather than saying, here's your program, this is what you have to do. It comes down to, obviously it comes down a lot to people's preferences. And a lot of it is talking about the, the why behind things. So this mm-hmm. is why we're doing this exercise. This is why we're doing this intensity, this volume, this order and discussing concepts along the way. And I think that's really useful because I think the, the goal of coaching or part of the goal of coaching isn't just to get someone stronger. It's to empower them with the knowledge that they can get stronger indefinitely. Mm-hmm. So a lot, of, a lot of my coaching relationships are, you know, I might coach somebody for say a year and then I'll no longer coach them, but every now and then they'll reach out with a question and say, Hey, can you take a look at this? Here's my progress since I last spoke to you. Or just send me a message and say, Hey, just want to say, just want to show you where my flag is now, that sort of thing. And that's, that's really nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing what we can do with video now and, and you can pretty much cope. Like you mentioned, you're working with a lot of people all over the world. You can, yeah, the fact you can have the capacity to do that is, is pretty awesome for the, from the business owners and, and coaches out there. Do you use Excel? Is it Google Sheets or is there an app that you use? Take us through the programming side of things. Yeah. So the, when I put a template or general program out into the world, that's generally out. If I'm coaching somebody one-on-one, I generally will, will send them a, a questionnaire and do a Zoom consult, get a history, preferences, goals, those sorts of things. Yeah. And yeah, then I generally program, write up a program with their input on Excel or Google Sheets and make amendments to that over the next, you know, over a training block. Right. Okay, cool. And then you would catch up with them on, on Zoom. Is that a monthly thing or are they just sort of book in um, it, as they go? It depends. I think with calisthenics, it's a lot, a lot more useful to have kind of more frequent feedback. Mm-hmm. So I'll often get do video feedback weekly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, you know, it's, a, it's very individual. It depends on the person. Mm-hmm. With, with sure. that being said, I think, um, <laughs> I think one issue with a lot of coaches is kind of giving too much feedback. <laughs> So I try not to do that and just give feedback where, where is necessary and just try to guide them in the right direction. Yeah, that's an interesting point you make. Talk, talk us, let's dive into that a little bit. Where, yeah. can, where can that go wrong if you're giving too much feedback from the, from the client's point of view, do you think? So, so I, think, I think you see this a lot. If you just take the handstand for an example, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of coaches make the mistake of giving feedback every rep. And... The the point I generally use to show that this isn't helpful is I'll just say to say to that coach, well, okay, just stand on one hand now, and they won't be able to do it, and they might mm. have all the all the answers and all the tips, and they'll know exactly what they're doing wrong, but they can't balance on one arm, <laughs> and mm. it just goes to show that no matter what you say, it's it's not necessarily helping. So for example, if I try and kick up and balance on my left arm, I'm going to fall over. If I have a coach there saying, Simon, you're, you, you bent your elbow. Simon, you're, you know, you fell to your left. Simon, you did this. I'm like, I know I'm trying to balance. It's not, it's not helping. I just need hours and hours of practice to refine these small, precise movements to be able to correct my balance. And yeah. it's not to say that coaching isn't helpful. I think it, it is extremely helpful and a coach is really valuable at to point somebody in the right direction. I just think mm. providing too much feedback is redundant, not helpful. And I, I think it often demeans how important repetition and pra- high quality practice is. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's such a great point that you make, both both for the athletes listening, but also coaches, because you you yeah, I've definitely fallen that trap before, especially if you're booking them, you know, one on one, and you know you're not going to see this person for another week. You feel like oh, I've got to give them the most amount of value and the most amount of help. But like you said, exploring and and self learning is so important, uh, and taking ownership of your of your practice, but but also. Uh, athletes are going to have awareness themselves. They're giving themselves feedback. So if you're adding more feedback on top of that, it can make uh, make it more complex opposed to the simple philosophy that you talked about, trying to just keep it simple. And then there's that, like you mentioned, I guess you're just sort of steering the ship from time to time and, and keeping them on track and, and being a soundboard, but not overdoing it. Yeah. And I think like capacity takes time to build as well. Like if you said, Simon, you know, if you look at my bench press technique, there's nothing you can tell me that's going to make me bench press 200 kilos um, <laughs> at, or, you know, 150 kilos, something that's achievable, but it would take a long time to, to get there. And, you know, a lot of that is just coming down to consistent hard work. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of another thing I'll add to that is that a lot of coaches will give... What, what I've found is that I tend to give relatively little feedback to, to other coaches because I think there's a lot of value in just building capacity. So if you see something like an arched back in the handstand push-up, I think a lot of that is is just due to weakness. You know, somebody can't push up in the hand... Think of a, the planche or the 90-degree push-up. So you're moving down to horizontal just to make the point a little bit clearer. So if somebody's arching mm-hmm. back in the 90-degree push-up and says, Simon... I can't not arch my back. You know, if if they've only got one rep, a lot of that just comes down to building capacity. It's it's likely that they're arching their back because they don't have the strength to do it with a straight back because that lengthens mm-hmm. the lever arm of the body and demands more force from the shoulders. So mm-hmm. in that, it, you know, you can assess them and see what their motor control of, of their trunk's like and whether they can maintain straight body alignment with easier skills, with band assistance, that sort of thing. But quite often it's just like, okay, well, let's get you to three reps and then reevaluate. And if, if you can do three reps with an arch back, you, you can probably do one with a, a straight body, assuming that you have the, the motor control to maintain straight body alignment. And I think a lot of the time coaches will kind of chime in too soon and talk about, you know, often make errors like, you know, we need to work on your core. And it's like, no, we just need to build shoulder capacity. And, you know, when you're stronger, you'll be able to do it with, with a straight back. Yeah. So you got to give it time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of things correct themselves. And yeah, as, as I said, it's more like a, um, you know, it's, it's more like a compass, um, to direct somebody to a, to a a point than, you know, an exact map of, of how to go. Yes. Yeah. And going back to the basic movement patterns, again, you mentioned off air, the controversial topic with using bands for movements like developing your first chin up. Do you want to, elaborate on on that topic that is can be controversial in the in the industry i'd love to so um i think the time you see this is when you have a beginner who's trying to learn a chin-up and you'll see a lot of a lot of people online a lot of well-respected coaches slam band assisted chin-ups or pull-ups and say this is a stupid exercise or a useless exercise or an unhelpful exercise because the assistance that you receive means that the resistance of the movement doesn't match the strength curve of the chin-up. So Mm -hmm. generally people are strong at the bottom of a chin-up, they're weaker at the top, and a band will assist more at the bottom and less at the top. Mm -hmm. And when I hear this, I totally agree with their point about about the strength curves, but I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. But I think 
okay, if somebody's working toward their first chin up, they probably have a lot of newbie gains to make. <laughs> and mm-hmm. kind of no, no matter what they do, they should make reasonable progress. And you don't need to make things too complicated. And you certainly don't need to make them fear an exercise or think that an exercise is useless. And I think you actually do a lot more harm by telling them that band exercises are stupid and kind of paralysis by analysis. Um, yeah. rather than putting in work. And if they had have just directed that effort to just, if you just put in hard work and you're doing something challenging and you're making progress, you will, you know, you will achieve your first chin up. It do- your training doesn't need to be as intelligent as an elite athlete who's close to their ceiling. Kind of, yes. you, can, you can kind of just do anything and it, it should work. Gym. Yeah, exactly. Just, <laughs> just, you know, do something hard and test your capacity. And if it's improving over time, what you're doing is working. Mm-hmm. And I think, even with a really, really detailed understanding of strength curves and of exercise science and, and principles of building strength and hypertrophy, I still think it's a really useful exercise. So mm-hmm. the, the point I used to, to the, the first point I made is just, it's not good to discourage people from you know, saying this exercise is bad or stupid. Yeah. And it's certainly not dangerous. Yeah. You just want to encourage, you just want to build character as, as somebody who's starting to train, just, you know, work hard, push yourself true or close to failure and increase the difficulty over time. And if you adhere to those principles, that's kind of, you know, most of what you need to do. But even with a a good understanding of of calisthenics and exercise science, I still think it's useful exercise. (laughs) And the reason is, firstly, you don't have to pick one exercise. So, you know, if somebody's comparing negatives to band chin-ups, it's like there's great things about both of them and why not do both? You don't, it's, it's not a, it's, they're not in conflict. <laughs> yep. um, another thing is you don't have to match strength curves to build strength. And I think a lot of people who slam um, band chin-ups don't acknowledge that the resistance in a barbell squat or a barbell bench press don't match the strength curve of the exercise. So nobody says, you know, barbell squats are dumb, it's stupid, it doesn't match the strength. You need to do banded or chain squats to build strength. Everyone knows mm. that squats build strength. And when it comes to improving one RM, the what's better than the specific exercise of the squat? Yeah. And and a lot of people don't acknowledge where where that accommodating resistance isn't actually superior and it can go wrong in the squat if you're just doing band or chain assisted work. So you can add too much weight with the chains and you won't be challenging yourself at the bottom of the squat adequately. So mm. it's you know, an exercise doesn't need to be perfect to be effective. Banching ups can still improve a lot of other things. So they can improve rate of force development. So even if it's not really challenging at the bottom, you can just use a lighter band and just say, use all the power from the bottom to help you help you get to the top. It's easy to scale. It's simple. You don't need a lap pull down machine. You don't need to hang any fancy equipment or make a harness system. It's better than having somebody spot you because you can actually get a consistent amount of assistance each rep. You can progress to thinner bands. As you get, you know, if you do an extra rep, you know, it's because you got stronger, not because your coach helped you more or the band helped you more. It provides the same assistance each time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you eliminate band, band assisted chin ups, it's like, what are you left with that's simple to add a lot of volume? And, you know, you could say, oh, I can do lat pull downs. But, you know, if you're training at home, it's something that's really simple that you can do at higher reps. And if you're just doing negatives, you're leaving that higher reps work out and probably yeah. progress. So you're not going to build as much muscle doing singles as you will doing doing more reps. You're not going to get as much skill practice of actually doing the chin-ups if you're just doing negatives. So mm-hmm. so I think my my main problem with it is that it's kind of can be really 
discouraging to a beginner, but I also don't think exercises need to be perfect to be effective. And I think a lot of people who slam particular exercises kind of have some cognitive dissonance or some... um, Almost missing the point of the whole... standards, yeah, when it comes to other exercises. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, mate. And uh, it's, I guess, common sense isn't that common sometimes. And it, like we talked about before, like everything is a skill at the end of the day, even if it is a simple one. So yeah. if you're neglecting the actual movement pattern, how are you expecting to, to get better at it? Yeah, I'll actually just make one extra point, kind of headed in that direction, but didn't, didn't, didn't complete this train of thought. So I mentioned that, you know, accommodating resistance can actually be harmful. So take the example of improving your, your one rep max squat. Mm. So accommodating resistance isn't really better for improving one rep max squat because you're still challenging the sticking point of the squat to the same degree. So, you know, the the sticking point of the squat is relatively close to the bottom. Chains are just going to kind of build superfluous strength higher up in range and and not challenge that point more than a standard squat. And in fact, if you mess the the assistance up, the accommodating resistance up a little bit, you mess the weight on the chains up a little bit, you won't be challenging that portion as much. So, you know, let's say the the challenging part or your max squat out of the hole is like 100 kilos, but you can squat like 150 for a quarter squat and you just put a ton of weight on with chains. It's all chains. And at the bottom of the squat, you're only, you're only doing 80. It doesn't have the same stimulus for strength gains at that point as just doing, you know, 100 kilos. And I think this is something that people neglect to realize when it comes to band-assisted chin-ups. Because if the part that you're failing with is the top, the band-assisted chin-up is great because even though this part's easy, there's going to be less assistance and therefore it's going to be challenging that sticking point, mm-hmm. the part where you really need to build strength. And if you had assistance that worked in the other direction and you had not much assistance at the bottom and it was really hard and then too much assistance at the top and it was really easy you're going to build superfluous strength down the bottom and you're not going to adequately challenge the top part where you need it to unlock your first chin-up. So yeah, I think... You do see a bit of that with people's first chin-up is getting that actual chin above the bar can take some time. Exactly. And a band chin-up is great because even if this part's easy, it's still challenging that portion. As long as it's challenging, that's going to be the probably the hardest part. So Mm -hmm. I, I think, yeah, just back to that point of like, a lot of people come will, will just make one point that might sound intelligent, you know, at face value. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you realize that it, you know things don't need to be perfect to be effective. And what about in your own journey? What are, what are some of your favorite ways to to develop your philosophy over your time? Is it reading books, reading research, listening to podcasts, YouTubing? Uh, what are some of your or speaking to other practitioners? What are workshops? Talk us through. Um, yeah, I think m- probably my favorite resource, I, I get no endorsement from them. I just use their res- resource and I find it really valuable is um, Mass. So mon- monthly applications in, in strength sports. So Greg Knuckles and, and co doing that. I find, I find that really valuable. So I subscribe and I try to use that to kind of keep up to date with the strength science research. I, I like to read generally more academic kind of articles and resources. So occasionally I'll read articles outside of that, things that friends send me, things that pop up on social media that I want to dig a little bit deeper with. But yeah, probably the main thing, most consistent thing is that the mass resource. Uh, we'll add a link for those listening in, potentially you're podcasting in your car, we'll add a link in the show notes so you uh, refer to that later on. But 
We'll go to the uh, coming to the close now, mate. Thank you so much for, for sharing your journey and your philosophy with, with calisthenics development and, and coaching, as well as your own training and, and what's worked well for you. We'll go into the personal side, mate, of the podcast, the Get to Know yeah. Simon segment. So the first one is which movie or TV series has uh, impacted you the most and why? We can throw books in there as well. Books. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can tell you books. I would say the book, when it comes to books, Free Will by um, Sam Harris was probably my favorite. I don't know if you've read that, but that can be a little no. bit. That can cause a little bit of distress for some people, but I found it really valuable and I think it's got really useful moral implications. Okay. Another book of his is The Moral Landscape that's really good. For movies, none come to mind, but you know, I like Tarantino movies. I like Fight Club. The, when, you, when you mentioned that question, the first thing that came to mind with TV shows, the one that's impacted me the most would be Game of Thrones because I thought the ending was terrible and I was just so gutted that <laughs> I'd made such a huge investment watching this show for so long and it felt so let down at the end. <laughs> it is a big investment. That's good. That's a good point. I actually have forgotten the ending now. It feels like a while ago. There's been a few Netflix that's series. I think there is a feeling of, oh, there must be another series coming or something. <laughs> yeah. How about um, you? What's your favorite movie? Or TV show or book? I would say, well, recently, the Michael Jordan documentary was pretty good yep. on Netflix. That was pretty impressive. And, yeah, I always loved, like, your, your Lord of the Rings, Gladiator-type, feel-good, inspiring movies as well. Uh, so, yeah, that'd probably be my, my favourite couple that spring to mind. A favourite inspirational quote or, or life motto? I can't think of anything off off the top of my head in terms of I'm not a big quotes person. I actually heard, just to follow on from what we were talking about earlier, I heard, I don't know where the term originated or if it originated with him, but on a Greg Knuckles podcast, Stronger by Science podcast, I heard him talking about, you know, not chasing the ghost of optimal because you'll never really know where where optimal will be. And if you ever got there, you wouldn't actually know that you've achieved optimal. So, you know, you're better off kind of chasing progress or chasing improvement rather than perfection. And I think that's a really good quote that's kind of related to the things that we've been talking about absolutely yeah otherwise process driven yeah otherwise you know kind of i I think simplicity is a really good um a really good value something of occam's razor which is you know if if something simple adequately explains something you know kind of choose the part the simplest path rather than the uh, rather than adding extra assumptions in so i've kind of butchered that that razor but it makes the the general point yes yep okay and then what about in your work life? What, what are your pet peeves? Okay, what makes you angry? Late clients? Much. <laughs> no? <laughs> no, not much. I think I've been pretty lucky in my in my work life. Everyone's pretty good and you know pretty upfront when when they you know don't do something or can't do something. How about yeah. you? I'm, I'm going to throw the same questions back at you. Give me a quote and give me a. I think a, as I'm. As I'm getting longer in the in working in the gym world, I think not putting your gear away is at first that never really seemed to bother me, but I think I do see that as a, a pet peeve now. If you don't yeah. put your own equipment back, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I think I think that's a very much a a written and unwritten rule. Like, yeah, rack your weights, <laughs> yeah, rack your weights, and yeah, I think that that's probably one that springs to mind, and that probably goes to yeah, just showing respect for others. Yeah, favorite holiday destination. In a really, COVID-free world? I really like Japan. Yeah. Yeah, Tokyo, Osaka. I love the culture there, the people there. Yeah. And and what about also in a COVID-free world, which we're pretty much in now, favorite day, to, favorite way to spend your day off? I really like training. 
Yeah, training with friends. Some of my best memories, you know, training with with friends. Yep. Well, yep. thank you so much, Simon, for jumping on and, and sharing with us, yeah, your journey. For, for those interested in finding out a little bit more and or maybe hitting you up with a question, where where can people find The website's simonsterstrength.com. So Simon, S-T-E-R, strength.com. And the same handle on, on social media or on Instagram. We'll add them in the show notes, guys. And, and what about what's on for the rest of the year, mate? What are you excited about for, for the rest of 22? Uh, I'm going to head to Vegas for a few months. Yeah, you were saying you were performing there last year, was it? Yeah, or, yeah. Or before COVID. And then later in the year, I'll be teaching a workshop at Nirvana Strength in Bali. So it'll oh, be wow. a calisthenics workshop with some other calisthenics guys. So that should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to hear Bali's back on the map for Australians again. Uh, yeah. People are going over there. Yeah. So that, that will be um, awesome fun. Is that booked out or can people still book in for it? I'm not sure if they've even announced it yet, but I think it's confirmed and they should announce it soon. So that should be in October. And you can find, you will be able to find details about that through Nirvana Strength. So their website, social media. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll add links. Yeah. We'll add all the links, guys, that's been mentioned in the, in the show notes. Thank you for everyone that's tuned into this live show as well. If you tuned in late, it will live on our YouTube channel. So you can, and I definitely recommend watching it from the very start. Simon's uh, kindly offered us some good gems all the way through from the very beginning. So, and if you prefer to uh, listen in in the podcasting world, this will be released next Tuesday on our podcast. You can listen in your favorite podcast directory. And our next live chat will be next Friday, the 17th of June, and that will be with Stephen Kelly, who's Head of Development at the Sydney Swans Academy. I'll see you guys then. Thanks again, Simon. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is... Um... It'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah. Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us. Awesome. So he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you Rama to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was, uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. 
Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is, is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and yeah. and yeah, like just yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.